Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Calling Tau City. Turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in your transmissions. I'm waiting to be This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome, hello and welcome to show 687. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello everyone, I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Big day today, yes. Nick Mamatas, our new editor, is standing up there, making himself known. This is the first story that Nick's picked. So that's his special show today. It is Digital Witness by Dominica Fetaplas. And also coming to this show with that very own Amy H. Sturges with Looking Back at Genre History. Yes. So there's a couple of TV programmes. I might as well just get them out of the way there. And I'm not going to give any spoilers away. Don't worry about that. But just there's though obviously the Obi-Wan Kenobi and the, the new Star Trek, which slips my mind that I forget what the actual title is. It's got Pike in, Captain Pike. And both, I'm kind of like, it's me, there's no like, the scene for me, I think I'm, well, there's two episodes as recording this of the, the Obi-Wan. And I think I've probably watched two episodes of the Star Trek. And they both seem tame and there's no like edge to them. Maybe that's to come. We'll wait and see. So like I say, I don't want to, you know, and you shouldn't. Really, I shouldn't really be saying this, anyways, because it's given to give you a bit of an outlook. But I just was like, and I, I was, I had this feeling with Obi Wan, I was going to be, you know, it was going to be like mm, just a bit mediocre. And whereas you, you you watch, you know, the Mandalorian, and it's got some edge, it's got some grit. You know, it's it's he's cutting people in half. You know what I mean? And that actually wasn't even on his show; that was on Boba Fett's show. You know, it's kind of it's a ruthless. I'm going to say it's not it's the same universe, but it's a ruthless life 
where this Obi-Wan, it just seemed a little bit tame and a little bit, nothing that's like spark the interest, but we'll see, we'll see. Right, let's get into the main fiction, Digital Witness by Dominika Fetaplas. The story was original, appeared in Asimov Science Fiction in the May-June 2020. I'll give you a little heads up about Dominika. Dominika A is a writer and math tutor. Her work has appeared in Asimov's Analog, Fantasy and Science Fiction, Lightspeed, Uncanny, Tor.com and Clark's World, among other places. Her honours include two pushcart prizes and the fellowship from Tin House, MacDonald and Duressi. Now this story is narrated by Heather Clinkley. Heather was born and raised in South Illinois. She grew up loving Glider, Randa, Wonder Woman and the Muppets, all of which inspired Heather to one day make a move to Hollywood. Heather moved to Elliot and was accepted in the Second City Hollywood's first conservative class where she not only fell in love with sketch comedy but also met and fell in love with her now husband. Heather often lends her voice to cartoons and the HP Lovecraft literary podcast. Her favourite reading of the podcast was the short story The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. So, the Starship Sofa is very proud to present. Digital Witness by Dominica Fetaplace. She tried to write a dating profile, but the best thing she could come up with was The problem with being a lesbian is that women are so picky. I will occasionally sleep with a man if desperate. That does not make me bisexual. There was only one place to put such a thought. Her journal. Cotton paper, leather bound. Her pen was a found twig with an ink cartridge rammed through, carefully crafted by a girl who took breathtaking nude selfies. On her official profile, Twig Pen Girl used Photoshop to hide her nipples. But if you made a purchase, she'd send you an unedited picture. Alma, her physical therapist Joanna, was here to wake her from her waiting room reverie, which had begun to encompass other sexy girls on Etsy. Alma followed Joanna to the examination room, where she demonstrated her range of motion. It was less bad than last week, but still not good. Once on her back, she positioned herself so that Joanna could poke her stomach. Joanna was always curious about the state of Alma's psoas. Ah! Tight today. Sorry. Something about Joanna's competence made Alma feel the need to apologize for the shortcomings of her body. I think I'm ovulating. You should be tracking your cycle. It could be affecting your back pain. There's an app. And Joanna said more about it, but Alma's attention had already wandered. The only thing less interesting than other people's apps were other people's dreams. Alma sat up and Joanna was still talking about the app. Had even gotten out her phone to show Alma. She nodded politely and looked over at Joanna's screen. It's also so helpful if you're trying to conceive. Alma recognized the app, though it was not one she had mined personally. She had a hard time saying no to Joanna, who would probably get a small referral bonus if Alma signed up. So Alma installed it. Back at work, Alma used a secure search engine to research the best low-tech methods for tracking your cycle. She drew a calendar in her journal with her twig pen, using her phone case as a straight edge. In the spirit of checking out the competition, she opened up the app Joanna recommended and started filling it with fake data. 
adjusted the default settings to TTC, trying to conceive. Backfilled in a few days of bloating and headaches, complained of a late period. Then made some notes in her work journal, scribbling with the twig. Her assistant knocked at her open door. Come in. You got another message from your blackmailer? Phil wants to know if you want a security detail. The correct answer is yes. Which was Alma's way of saying no. She didn't want one, but she didn't have a choice. I'll tell him. Everyone at the firm, her assistant included, was constantly under threat of blackmail. The firm acquired data and then sold it. It made you a target. It made you paranoid. It was why Alma had her journal and twig pens x-ray scanned before she started writing with them. Malware kept getting smaller and smaller, to the point where it was feasibly embeddable in ordinary stationary supplies. Alma had been the victim of various kinds of harassment since she was in college. A hazard of coding while female. The neurotypical thing to do would be to worry. But between her work projects, her back pain, her guilt over being a tech gentrifier, and Cleo, Alma had run out of fucks to give. At 4.30pm, her assistant knocked again. Your appearance coach is here. There was a party that night that Alma didn't want to attend. Cleo had insisted. It's important. It has to do with abortion, said Cleo. We don't need one, do we? It's a fundraiser. We're going. If you were at a party with Cleo, there was a good chance you would end up in one of her social media posts. Alma and Cleo were romantically open, but Instagram monogamous, meaning that they could sleep with other people, but not post about them online. Really, this restriction applied only to Cleo. Alma, being in her line of work, wasn't supposed to have any social media accounts. And introverted as Alma was, she wasn't actually seeing other people. The closest she came were half-finished, never-launched profiles on various dating sites. The appearance coach had good posture and long legs. She helped Alma with her makeup, how to apply it, but also how to make it look like you weren't wearing any. You wanted foundation that looked like a dewy glow, concealer that mimicked the effects of a good night's sleep, eyeliner that made you look serious, and highlighter that made you look fun. Alma was still learning her best angles and practiced selfies with her coach. Then posture, which was needed. Long days spent at her monitors were turning her into a hunchback. Finally, a change of clothes. Alma walked to the restaurant where Cleo had made reservations. She noticed she was being followed. Probably a bodyguard. The security detail her assistant had mentioned. After dinner, on the short walk from the restaurant to the club where the party was being held, Alma thought she saw her bodyguard was also being tailed. There are two men watching us now. She said to Cleo. Maybe. Your bodyguard has a bodyguard. Nothing ever seemed to worry Cleo. But the competitor to Alma's firm was very thuggish. They weren't above stalking her to get her to abandon a client. Alma didn't worry for herself. She worried for her bodyguard. Was he in danger? Was he about to be out of a job? She didn't even know his name. Maybe she should. She had seen enough data to understand that the servant class in the city lived very tough lives. Rent was high, wages were low, and competition was fierce. 
You lived and died by your Yeeple ratings, where millionaires left reviews of the people they hired. People being people, the reviews were mostly scathing. Positive interactions didn't merit the effort of composing a rating. And besides, good help was so scarce, it was rational to keep secret the names of the city's best servants. Alma herself could be accused of hoarding. Hadn't she rescued Cleo from the drudgery of baristadom? Cleo lived rent-free at Alma's and made superlative espresso on a machine Alma had purchased for her. The men did not follow them inside to the club. Presumably, they were not on the guest list. There were some local bands and drag acts performing. In between sets, well-dressed activists took to the stage to complain about Ohio. Alma nodded her head with mock concern during the speeches, but only to fit in. She didn't keep up with the news, and so she had no idea why this patch of flyover country was worse than the others. Cleo was at ease mingling. She somehow knew people every place she went. Alma felt older, but then she was older. 43 to Cleo's 23. When anyone asked what Alma did, she said she worked in tech, and that usually dead-ended most conversations. Which was fine. She didn't want to go into specifics. She didn't want to say, Oh, I scrape the user data from the apps and websites you use, and my boss sells it to the highest bidder. After the party, Cleo wanted a ride home, and she didn't want to wait for Alma's black car service. So they took a regular taxi. In the back seat, ads blared. You could pay extra to have the volume turned down, which Alma did, but you could not shut the screen off. There was an ad for an ice cream bar, and then one for a male escort. Ooh, I've never seen that one before. Because you don't make enough, Alma didn't say, though it was true. Once you got to a certain income bracket, ads for sex workers became ubiquitous. The car thinks I'm about to start my period. It what? I started using this app. You downloaded an app? What's next, Facebook? Cleo was a little drunk, but in a fun way. Her perfect red lipstick was intact, but her expressions were slightly exaggerated. I did it for my PT, but I couldn't bring myself to enter anything accurate into it, so I told it I was suffering from PMS. It must have sold my data to the taxi firm. And now the car thinks you're going to eat ice cream and fuck a guy. Chad. Charles. What was his name? He was cute. Cleo swiped the screen until she got back to the ad. Chess. Obviously not his real name. Those abs. Cleo pressed more buttons. He's available on the weekend. Hand me your credit card. Cleo. Cleo had a date this weekend and was probably being so insistent because she didn't want Alma to be at home alone stewing. Alma declined to hand over her credit card, so Cleo swiped her own. She did it with full knowledge about how Alma felt about in-car purchases and full awareness that Alma would pay her statement. He'll be over on Saturday. I'm going to want to hear all about it. The car stopped in front of their building. Alma and Cleo got out. Three men emerged from two cars parked on the street. They stood outside Alma's building but did not come in. The doorman asked her if she was being bothered. No, she said, even though the answer was always yes. Best not to get the doorman involved. His job was tough enough as it was. Chess looked a little like a guy Alma had once dated in college, and Alma wondered if that was a coincidence. 
She wasn't on Facebook, but nearly everybody she'd ever interacted with was. Chess, like her ex, was dirty blonde and broad-shouldered. Alma should have canceled, but she didn't want to be alone while Cleo was out having fun. Besides, the cancellation might mess up Chess's schedule. She knew it was condescending to view him as an object of pity just because he was a prostitute, but she couldn't help it. The heart wants what it wants, and sometimes it wants to feel guilty. When Chess got there, Alma made it clear she just wanted a massage, nothing else. Are you sure? Positive. Because we could do anything, even talk. As expected, the massage was inadequate. Too gentle, as if he were petting a cat. She verbally directed him to the areas that needed work and asked for more pressure. But there was no helping an inexpert stroke. Alma's usual masseuse was named Pierre, and he had ruined her for anyone else. Alma mentioned she had a girlfriend. She did this to discourage any advances, but ended up talking about polyamory with Chess as he worked on her. She mentioned her struggles with her dating profile. Chess asked to see it and gently offered a few suggestions. And then their time was up. Alma tipped extra, due to all the talking that occurred. She admired sex workers for their discretion. They seemed like the only people capable of keeping a secret in all of San Francisco. After Chess left, Alma did what she knew she should not do, which was open her burner Instagram account. Anonymous as it was, one of her blackmailers had even found her here. The message began, Alma, deposit the Bitcoin. As if... And she almost closed it right then, but she decided to read just a little bit further. I have a secret I will keep from you and everybody for .34 Bitcoin. There were some inscrutable emojis, either aliens or geckos, Alma couldn't tell. Everything about it was amateurish, except for the fact that the blackmailer knew how to find her on Instagram. Alma took some screenshots and forwarded them to her company security. She cringed that the office would know she was on Instagram. She wasn't supposed to be. Worse, her handle was Studmistress. She signed out of her account for the last time. Good riddance. She hadn't posted anything. She was only following Cleo and no one else. Spying on her. She closed her laptop with a definitive snap. She was better than this. Five minutes later, she started a new account. Her username was what it should have been last time, a randomly generated string. She checked Cleo's account for pictures of last night's party. She saw herself there, looking not bad, but the relief was short-lived. The angle was flattering, but now Alma was having second thoughts about the leather collar she had worn around her neck. The appearance coach talked her into it. At least Alma had declined the cowboy hat. In the picture, she had her hand on Cleo's shoulder. She hoped they looked like a couple, and not like a sister with her older sister, or worse. But that was ridiculous. No one would assume they were at all related. Cleo was bird-boned and light-skinned, conventionally beautiful with a grace and ease that came through on screen. No appearance coach needed. Alma scrolled through Cleo's follow list. The models were easy to find because they had sexy profile pictures surrounded by red circles. None of the models had broad shoulders or leg muscles. No Latina girls. None even vaguely Mediterranean-looking. They were all like Cleo. 
skinny white girls who looked 16. They had freckles and straight hair, heavily made up, frequently in bikinis. They had names like Haley and Megan. Alma searched in vain for a model that looked even the tiniest bit like her, but Cleo wasn't following any. She knew this was a bad sign, but wasn't sure how to share her concerns with Cleo without revealing how she had acquired them. Alma once again signed out of Instagram for the last time. She tried to work some more on her dating profile. Maybe she would be happier spending time with a woman her own age. But she liked younger women. She had that in common with Cleo, apparently. Cleo came home late smelling like fruity mall perfume. She wore another woman's sparkly lip gloss on her neck. Long-lasting, since it apparently didn't wash off in the shower. Cleo didn't ask about chess, nor did she volunteer any details about her own adventure. They spent the next morning in bed, the afternoon at brunch, they streamed movies in the evening. It was a high-quality coziness, one that didn't want to be interrogated. I can do this, Alma thought as she fell asleep. The next morning, there was another meeting about their biggest client a multi-platform health tracking app. Let's divide and conquer. Alma, I'm putting you in charge of women's health, said Phil. She wanted to shout, what a surprise, but instead she asked, what does that entail? Monetizing fertility management. Alma looked around the room. Most of the men had children, had wives who were at one point pregnant. They would know, they would know more about this than her. If only there was a second token female at the company to take this job for her. Maybe someone else can do this? I have a conference coming up, she said. Datacon? He asked, and she nodded. But that's not for a couple of months. The app they were scraping was called Best Body, and integrated tracking data obtained from the user's phone and watch. Fine, said Alma, and she got to work. We need greater resolution on the mood metrics, Phil said, after she submitted her first progress report. How the user felt about her fertility, or lack of it, made the difference between showing the user ads for high-end fertility clinics or high-end abortion clinics, overpriced strollers, or overpriced vodka. Of course, Best Body had its users self-report their mood, but the company also looked at how much the users were sleeping. They did sentiment analysis on the text of the user's social media posts. If the significant other was also signed up, then they looked into their mood, too. There was the couple-specific data to be captured. How much time they were spending together, how much porn they were watching apart. Lately, Alma and Cleo had been spending more time apart. Alma offered to take her to the conference, add on a couple of days to make it a real getaway, but when Cleo heard where it was, she wrinkled her nose. Cleveland? What is there even to do there? The hotel is supposed to be really nice. I can upgrade us. We can go to a basketball game. Cleo loved basketball, though she preferred the NBA to the WNBA for some reason. We're supposed to be boycotting Ohio, remember? I have to go for work, said Alma. Cleo shrugged. 
Alma was cranky on the flight over. She didn't ask because she didn't want to know, but she supposed Cleo was going to have dates over every night she was gone. Maybe she should have asked. She opened her phone and found a notification waiting for her from Goodblood, the period tracking app she had downloaded months ago at her PT's urging. Still TTC? Trying to conceive? It asked her. Sort of, she thought. She had been assigned an additional product. Phil had egged her on with a bonus. Best Body wanted to add urgent care functionality. Was the user having a health emergency? Maybe we should let somebody know. This app could save lives. But it was hard to determine what constituted an emergency. The company had hired a bunch of doctors as consultants. Still, the feature was proving difficult to build. Alma searched the menu of Good Blood, looking for the worst outcome she could enter into the app, wondering how her competitor might respond to a crisis. Heavy bleeding. Extreme pain. There was something reassuring about entering inaccurate data into a system. It was a way of hiding, of making yourself less scrutable. She backfilled several days of this data, wondering what type of notification would appear. The app told her to seek medical attention and flashed different ads for Indianapolis hospitals. Alma checked her flight's location, and she was indeed flying over Indiana. She went to her phone settings and double-checked that she had not enabled geolocation for good blood. Why should a period tracking app need to know your location? But even though Alma had denied the permission, the app seemed to know where she was. When she crossed over the Ohio border, the hospital ads changed. She made some notes about the app in her journal. Because she had put the app in TTC mode, it automatically assumed each day she didn't put in data, she didn't have anything to report, which meant the app thought she had gone months without experiencing a period. And then she deleted the app. After that, she got rid of Instagram again. If she wanted to study either one more, she'd get work to provide her with a secure phone. Once she'd landed, she felt like there were more men following her. Through the airport, to the hotel, all through the first few days of the conference. She thought they were bodyguards until they identified themselves as cops. We'd like to bring you in for questioning. Alma referred them to her company lawyer. Her firm sold some data to law enforcement agencies and didn't like her to give things away for free. It's not a request, you're under arrest. She nodded as she discreetly pressed the bat signal on her watch. She went willingly. Her lawyer would be in touch soon. What for? she asked after she was read her rights. Unreported miscarriage. Unauthorized termination of a pregnancy. She kept her expression neutral. She wasn't taken to a prison, but to a hospital. They wanted her to undergo a gynecological exam. She said no. They said they had a warrant and proceeded. She had always been afraid of being raped, but never imagined it would be quite like this. Her gyne was a woman, and nice about it. But what could it be but sexual assault when someone touched you there even after you told them not to? The gyne asked her questions about good blood. Your last inputs before deleting the app indicated bleeding and fever. I'm not answering any questions until my lawyer gets here, she said for the thousandth time. After her exam, she was held at a mental hospital. 
Her legal representation didn't find her until she was secure in her cell in a drawstring-free uniform. Sorry it took me so long. It had been 18 hours, but it had felt like more. I don't fully understand why I'm here. Her lawyer explained that because abortion was illegal in Ohio, every miscarriage had to be reported and then investigated. I was just researching the app for work, entering fake data. Alma's lawyer eventually got the charge reduced to lying about a pregnancy, also a crime. On their advice, Alma pled guilty, and her sentence was reduced to time served. Back in California, Alma wanted an assurance from Phil that the app she was working on wasn't going to narc on its Ohio users. I don't want anyone to have to go through what I went through. I understand, but the more bidders there are, the better the auction goes. Alma nodded and hoped he wouldn't ask for a timeline on her progress. The timeline was never. And if she was silent during the rest of their meeting, it wasn't because she was thinking about how to modify her algorithm. It was because she was thinking of how to erase her work and every trace of it. A more courageous person would have raised objections right away. Cleo was bold enough and woke enough, though Cleo had never held a job for longer than six months. Alma waited until the meeting was over to resign. This firm has a long history of helping law enforcement, said Phil, as if that were a reason to stay. We can't cancel the auction. But of course they could. He could especially if there was no product to auction. Why don't you take the rest of the afternoon off? Alma left the office, supposedly to take a walk, clear her head. Again, she was tailed, this time by five or possibly six gentlemen. She didn't like being followed, but she supposed she deserved it. What was happening to her in real life was what she did to other people online, tailed them. The men could be her own private security, they could be law enforcement, they could be her competitors. She found a park, found a bench, and started thinking about kill protocols. She couldn't just erase her work up to this point, that would be suspicious. She had to replace what she had, a pregnancy sentiment predictor that almost worked, with one that would never work. She would have to write a new one. A stupid one that looked smart. She opened her phone and browsed her personal portfolio, looking for something that could be repurposed. Excuse me. Alma looked up. A surly, red-headed teenager was standing in front of her. The girl was slim, a tight tank top tucked into leggings that were tucked into heavy boots. She looked familiar, but Alma didn't know from where. Yes? asked Alma. You've been ignoring my messages. The girl had an edge to her voice. But it sounded false. Alma suddenly thought of the women behind bars due to irregular periods, accused of murder. Do you need help? I asked for the Bitcoin in exchange for keeping a secret. Oh, a blackmailer. Alma wondered which gentleman in a dark uniform was her company-assigned bodyguard. Perhaps all of them? Should she say something? I'm sorry. I get too many threats to respond individually to each one. It isn't too late. I'm not going to pay you. It's about Cleo. Oh. Maybe she should pay the girl. Maybe she didn't want to know. 
but she had learned there was no such thing as a secret. She looked again at the girl with her pretty heart-shaped face. Yes, she did recognize her, one of the models that Cleo followed on Instagram. We have an open relationship, you know, said Alma. Cleo told me about your whore. His name is Chess, and he's legal. Registered. Alma had checked. And he isn't mine. He doesn't belong to me. Neither does Cleo. I'm 14. Really? She looked a little bit older than that. Not much. It was hard to tell. But it would explain the crudeness of her scheme. It's not too late. I haven't told the police. I won't if you pay. Elma felt a psychic whiplash. In her own head, only moments ago, she was silently fuming about the government interfering in people's private lives. Now, she wanted to call the police on this teenager. Her phone was already out. She searched for the SFPD non-emergency line and called it. Her phone was already out. She searched for the SFPD non-emergency line and called it. Are you transferring the funds? I want to, no, 2.5 BC. A ludicrous amount, more than any of the other blackmailers had asked for. Alma, listening to the ring, I want to help you, but like, really help you. I'm calling the cops. The girl ran, as Alma hoped she might. She spoke to an administrator, who asked her to come down to a station so she could have a statement taken. With an officer present, Alma scrolled once more through Cleo's profile until she found the right red-headed girl. Her profile listed her as age 18 and her bra size as 32D. Alma hoped her age was accurate, though her bra size was certainly exaggerated. After making her statement, Alma left the station to go back to her office. Before she could work on her dummy pregnancy algorithm, she would have to talk to security about this latest blackmail attempt. It was protocol. After the briefing, Phil asked to see her again. Good news! We've decided to cancel the auction. We're selling to a pharmaceutical company. She didn't tell him it was too late. That she didn't feel great profiting off of other women's lack of choice. That she worried about how the pharmaceutical company might use the data. That law enforcement could still subpoena all of them at any time. She mumbled assent and then excused herself. By the end of the day, with her old work sufficiently sabotaged, she stopped by Phil's office and resigned again, this time more forcefully. I have more news for you, said Phil. Of course you do. I'll just talk to security. They've been looking into your Cleo situation. Her little girlfriend has a long record. But how old is she? Of age, 18. She and Cleo were working together to extort you. They've both been arrested. A call came into Alma's phone. Cleo, probably calling from jail. Alma declined it. Today was a day for quitting things, apparently. She left the office for the last time with a box full of her things. She thought again about her dating profile. Now she would need to refresh LinkedIn, too. The unfortunate thing about both sites was the uncomfortable proximity they had to all her worst mistakes. When she left the office, there were men still following her, trailing her from a distance, but fewer this time. There were lots of downsides to living in such a heavily surveilled city, but the upside was that you were unlikely to be murdered, at least not on purpose and not by a person. 
There were no more drivers, yet somehow cars remained a menace. But Alma made it safely home and began to wonder what kind of delivery pizza was suitable to the occasion of losing so much in a day. Now, that wasn't the right way to think about it. She was free. She deleted Cleo from her contacts, also Phil, also her appearance coach. She then made another appointment with Chess. She was in the mood to cry and also in the mood to talk. Maybe she could teach him how to work on her so as. She would pay him extra. He would not decline it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And there you go. Big, big thank you to Dominica. Dominica, thank you so much indeed. And Heather, what a, what a lovely voice. Thank you. And Nick, sir, well done. Yes, first one out of the gate there. Thank you very much. And a big thank you to Will as well. Will Staggle is now our audio engineer, audio engineer, should I say, and putting everything together and just making, you know, tucking and tidying things up there as well. So, Will, thank you indeed. Now... Amy H. Now listen, before we get in there, Amy H. Sturgis, yes, but me and Amy have had some trouble getting this file over to you. Yes, it was. And I think, Amy, this is the first time in, oh, well, you know, in the history of me and you working together where we probably couldn't seem to get the, the file format right. I don't know what was wrong, but it wasn't working for me and Amy was sending it and probably was it the first time in 15 years. But we struggled on. Ims. Hello, my friends. It's time for another look back into genre history. You may recall that last month on Starship Sofa episode 683 that I talked about Ukrainian speculative fiction in translation, works by authors who were born or who lived in Ukraine. And one of the authors I talked about was Sergei Diachinko who wrote with uh, Marina Diachinko, his wife, multiple works, over 30 novels, one of which is right on my radar right now, Vida Nostra, which was 
published in 2007 and translated into English in 2018. It's a dark academia work of particular interest to me at the moment as I'm working on dark academia, both in research and in teaching. So I count myself a recent convert fan of the Diachinkos. And so I'm very sorry to say that I just learned that uh, Sergei Diachinko died on May 5th, 2022. He was born in Kiev, Ukraine. He earned degrees in biology and a medical degree. He worked as a psychiatrist. He also went to film school and had many screenplays to his credit. Ultimately, he and his wife relocated to the United States, and that is where he died earlier this month. And that sort of sent me down a rabbit hole, actually. We have lost several great creators here very recently. And so, as you know, I like to pause every so often and recognize people who have contributed to genre history in one way or another, and certainly to recognize the passing of those who have left their mark on our genre. Now, there's not enough time to mention everyone, but I did pick out several people I wanted to give a tribute to. So I would start then, of course, with Sergei Diachinko and his untimely passing. Next, I would like to mention Patricia McKillop, who was born in 1948 and passed on May 6, 2022. Now, according to Tor.com, McKillop's first works that were published were children's books, works like The Throne of the Errol of Cheryl and The House on Parchment Street. Both of those came out in 1973. But after that, she published 38 other works, including the Riddle Master Trilogy. She received the 1975 World Fantasy Award for The Forgotten Beasts of Eld, which is a 1974 young adult novel. And she also received the World Fantasy Award for Lifetime Achievement in 2008. She holds the record for the most mythopoeic fantasy awards and nominations. That's four awards and 15 nominations, respectively. And I wanted to give you a direct quote here from the Encyclopedia of Science Fiction. Quote, it has been argued by Peter Nichols in Survey of Modern Fantastic Literature, edited by Frank McGill, that the Riddle Master trilogy, that's the Riddle Master books by Patricia McKillop, is a work of classic stature. The intricate narrative of its quest story echoes a moral complexity almost unheard of in fantasy trilogies. McKillop's protagonist has a special skill at unraveling riddles, and through a series of strategies not unlike those adopted by Gene Wolfe in his The Book of the New Sun, she forces the reader also to become a decipherer of codes. Thus, the book's meaning is enacted by the way it must be read. While in no way resembling science fiction, the trilogy contains one of the most sophisticated uses of the shapeshifter theme to be found anywhere in science fiction or fantasy. End quote. That's some pretty, <laughs> pretty high praise there. And a couple of other lines here from the Encyclopedia of Science Fiction. Quote, Though McKillop's science fiction is unusual 
and well-written, she has clearly found the conventions of fantasy more adaptable to her needs, which center on intricate, deeply worked storylines whose exact wording and emphases demand and reward focused attention. Obedience to inner truth or to the underlying story which shapes the land lies at the heart of much of her later work. And speaking of high praise, get this, over the final decades of her life, eschewing the use of fantasy backgrounds for inherently mundane epics, MacKillop became perhaps the most impressive author of fantasy story still active, end quote. Again, that is from the Encyclopedia of Science Fiction. That encyclopedia is a tremendous resource, by the way. I was reading it back in the days when it was a hard copy book, but you can now find it at sf-encyclopedia.com online. So, World Fantasy Award Lifetime Achievement recipient Patricia McKillop. All right, let me shift gears here away from novels to comics for the next tribute, and that is for George Perez, who was born in 1954 and passed on May 6th, 2022. He was a self-taught U.S. comic book artist and writer. He worked mostly as a penciler. He came to prominence in the 1970s with The Avengers for Marvel Comics, and he returned to that franchise in the 90s. He rejuvenated, along with writer Marv Wolfman, the whole junior heroes idea, by creating the new Teen Titans. This became one of DC Comics' greatest-selling series. He also penciled the limited series Crisis on Infinite Earths for DC, and he was involved in the relaunch of Wonder Woman, not just as a penciler, but as a writer, rebooting the whole series. And he also worked in other comics, Marvel, DC, other companies, known for really realistic, detailed drawing and crowd scenes where he could do these complex stagings of multiple characters in one shot. Here I'd like to quote from the New York Times. Mr. Perez was also at the helm of the 1986 reboot of Wonder Woman, which presented the character, who had originally appeared in 1941, as a new superheroine. His version was younger, and he leaned into the Greek mythology rooted in her origin story. Patty Jenkins, the director of the Wonder Woman films, cited this version of the character as an influence. End quote. Other tributes note that some of his hallmarks, besides great interactions with fans and his involvement in multiple charities, was that he liked to team up superheroes and create new combinations. And he was also well known for writing with great insight women characters, drawing women characters, including a diversity of body types, and being a source of positivity in a lot of ways. Jim Lee, the chief creative officer and publisher of DC Comics, wrote in an Instagram post, We lost another of the absolute greats this weekend. His career is truly a testament to what one can achieve in life when singularly focused on what one loves to do. End quote. So there, in memory, George Perez. 
Now, I just mentioned that Jim Lee said we lost another of the absolute greats. Well, the other absolute great to whom Jim Lee was referring was Neil Adams, who was born in 1941 and passed on April 28, 2022. From The Guardian, just let me give you the subtitle here, you'll see what I'm talking about, the Neil Adams obituary in The Guardian, subtitle, Artist who reinvented the look of classic characters for Marvel and DC Comics and fought for the right of illustrators. That's quite a tribute right there, just in the subtitle. If I may quote just a bit from that tribute from The Guardian. In the period following the explosion begun by Marvel Comics in the 1960s and accelerated by the campy Batman TV series in the middle of the decade, Neil Adams, who has died aged 80, was one of the greatest and probably most influential artists in comics. Adams was central to the rethinking of characters, including Marvel's X-Men and, for their rival DC Comics, the Spectre, Dead Man, and most crucially, the Batman. He also brought about changes to business practices, most notably winning artists the right to their original artwork and getting long-delayed credit and compensation in the 1980s for the Superman creators Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster. End quote. One of his trademarks was being more grounded in reality, having facial expressions and gritty details that brought the stories back to kind of noir roots, if you will. I'm thinking here of light and shadow, for instance. From the New York Times, I'd like to add this, and I quote, Some of Mr. Adams's most well-regarded work resulted from his partnership with the writer Denny O'Neill. In 1969, the two began to restore Batman to a brooding vigilante, as he was originally conceived. And in 1971, they created a new foe for him, the eco-terrorist Ra's al Ghul, whose goal of saving the planet usually involved eliminating much of its population. Mr. Adams both wrote and drew Batman Odyssey, that's 2011, a lavish seven-part series that his daughter said was the project he was most proud of, end quote. And yes, I am aware that there are many ways to pronounce al Ghul's name, and those different pronunciations have shown up in different adaptations of Batman, and I could only pick one to go with in this particular segment. So if it's not your preferred pronunciation, my apologies. Now, back to the tribute. After just watching the Batman, I've been thinking about doing a proper, thorough rewatch of the series Gotham myself, and I know I will be thinking a lot about Neil Adams. I think his fingerprints, his influence are all over the aesthetics and sensibility of that show, which I love. So there you go. Thinking of Neil Adams. And lastly, the last person I want to bring up today is Priscilla Tolkien, who was born in 1929 and passed on February 28, 2022. She was the youngest child of J.R.R. Tolkien, also the last surviving child. She was the honorary vice president of the Tolkien Society from 1986 until her death. And that wasn't just a title given as a 
courtesy. She was actually very involved in celebrating and preserving her father's memory and legacy. She was a host to members of the Tolkien Society, particularly when they met at Oxenmoot, their gathering. The Tolkien Society has noted that she also had quite a career of her own. She studied English first, and in the early 50s, she did secretarial work in Bristol and Birmingham. And there she observed urban poverty and conditions that concerned her. And she went back to school. She developed a career in social work, studied social sciences at the London School of Economics, and then worked in social work in Oxford, and then went back to academia and taught social work at the University of Oxford and later at High Wycombe College. Later in life, she taught English at Beechlawn Tutorial College and then tutored classes from her home from 1982 to 2005. The Tolkien Society chair, Sean Gunner, has said this, Quote, this is a very sad day indeed. Those who knew Priscilla will remember her as a kind and warm person who was incredibly generous with her time. As vice president of the society, no one knew society members and Tolkien fans better, where she would even invite members round her house during our Oxenmoot events. Those gatherings are cherished memories by the attendees, just as for her publications like Mr. Bliss and The Letters from Father Christmas were delightful memories of her childhood and her father's love and creativity. It is the end of an era, and we send our condolences to all who knew and loved her. And there I should probably call it a segment. I fell down a rabbit hole, as I said, and uh, there are certainly a lot of other names I could add, but I wanted in particular to pay tribute to these folks. And so in memory and in appreciation of their roles in the genre, Priscilla Tolkien, Neil Adams, George Perez, Patricia McKillop, and Sergei Diachinko. Thank you for joining me today. I look forward to joining you again very soon with something completely different when we take another look back into genre history. Thank you. And there you go, Amy. Thank you very much. We we, we managed it. We're perfect. (laughs) Thank you indeed. So that is Starship Sova's 687, put to bed. 687, big, big show, as we'd like to say. Nick Mamatas is now taking over the editor role there from our good friend Fred Heimbar. Fred stepped down and Nick's taking over. So welcome aboard, Nick, and Will, welcome aboard. It's for real now. (laughs) Thank you indeed, chaps. So until next week, just like to say, good night from me. Thank you.
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.